Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us on the Entrepreneur Playground. This is episode six, and I'm extremely excited to present two good friends of mine that I've met over the last couple of months, and, and they've been truly a, a blessing to 2020 for me and, and my coaching career. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited to introduce them to all of you listening. And so first I have Firas. He is a leadership and executive coach with 20 years of experience in corporate IT. He believes that human-centered leadership is built on self-awareness, respect, trust, empowerment, and inspiration as the growth path for all successful organizations. He is going to be, he's going to share a ton of value and I'm so excited to, to introduce you. Firas, is there anything that, that you would like to add or introduce yourself as well? Uh, no, thank you. I mean, that was a fantastic uh, intro. And uh, like you said, we've uh, kind of met over the past couple of months, this beautiful communities that we've come to know so many people through, I think, Michael's different communities and just really glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and you know, that's been one of the best parts about 2020 and technology and everything. I, I, there's a few bright spots in this year, but uh, being able to connect with people from from all over the world has been incredible. So we're we're going really international here. With uh, we have three countries on the Zoom call right now. So uh, so Firas, which country are you located in? From Kuwait in the Middle East. Kuwait in the Middle East. So this is the first uh, first Middle East person yeah. on the episode. So thank you again for joining. And then we have. Thomas, who's from Ireland, he is the founder of the High Performance Strategy Europe and is a high performance strategist. No, that's how I said it. It's strategist and coach. He previously worked with governments all over the world in the field of nation branding and has always been inspired by the human behind the leader. So that's a excellent introduction for him as well. And uh, he just has one of the best speaking voices you could possibly have. So I'm very excited to, to share the uh, share the microphone with him today. So Thomas, thank you so much for joining as well. Is there anything that you would like to add? Well, first of all, Martin, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And I think I'll go with your pronunciation of strategist forevermore. There's nothing I want to add. I'm I'm calling in from Ireland, from the center of Ireland, a place called Tipperary that your listeners may have heard of in a song. Okay. All right. I don't know if I've heard of that. Tipperary. We'll, we'll have to look the song. In yeah, the, we're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have Kuwait, New York, and Ireland all on the same Zoom call. This probably wouldn't have been possible uh, not too long ago. So this is uh, yeah. this is exciting stuff. And this uh, this podcast is really starting to spread uh, globally, at least in terms of guests. So that's uh, that's very exciting for me to uh, to get us started. And uh, and so the the point of this podcast, I know you guys have listened to it to an episode or two. And and the whole reason behind this podcast was to discuss why it's important to include fun and play into life and into business. And I was just getting almost tired of hearing people talk about, you know, I'm getting burnt out. I'm, I don't like my job. I'm, I'm miserable at work. I, I am going through the motions. And I just thought that that wasn't the right way to really approach 
work or approach life. And so this was supposed to be a little inspiration for people to maybe change the way that they view work or they view their life and try to add some fun or play into it. So I know that both of you guys really work in the corporate world or have for a long time. So um, if either one of you wants to get us started, why, why do you think it's important to include fun or play into life and, and into business? I mean, I, I love that introduction and, and I'd heard it in, in one of your previous podcasts. Uh, the word burnout is a very familiar friend of mine. Um, the reason that I kind of decided to, to do something different besides my corporate life, about 16 years into my career, I'd started to break down physically and mentally. I had the back problems from, from earlier on in my, in my years. And that just got to a point where it was literally physically crippling and I would be bedridden for days at a time. Uh, I was a work workaholic. All I did was work. What little time I had left over was with family and that was about it. And uh, while I knew I did that to get myself where I was in my career, but then I realized it's like, if I still have to do this for how many years before retirement would I even last? So it, it kind of, you know, I think there's a saying, uh, we work to live, not live to work or something along those lines. And I, I kind of got it the other way around and my life became essentially work. And I, I'd realized it was kind of a wake up call when I actually won a ticket. I used to work at a real estate company at that time, head of the IT there. I won a ticket to go to Dubai, which isn't that far away. Uh, and that was our first family vacation. And it was about 15 years into my career. <laughs> was the first time I'd taken, I'd taken actual, actual leave besides to do paperwork or, or, or uh, you know, just errands basically. That was, and it was just like a long weekend. It wasn't even a, a proper vacation. And that was when my first disconnect from my career for about 15 years and it was like, there is life outside of work. And, and my kids was, was just, you know, like just to see the responses are like, wow, you know, it's like just seeing someplace different, just being on a, on a plane uh, was a wake up call for me. I was like, yeah, I've kind of missed out on a lot and, and I don't want my kids to miss out on a lot. Uh, and that's what set me on the path of exploring something else. Uh, I didn't do anything else for, for a while, didn't decide to leave the corporate world for another four years. Uh, 20 years later total but uh, that's when my exploration started of what else is out there yeah I, I can connect with so much of what Viras is saying as well and I think from my own angle there has been a or there is a belief out there that business has to be serious, that it can't be fun and business at the same time. Like that is a recipe for failure, disaster. And I think just the transition of being leading a new company in the past year and a half through, I guess what you could only describe as extremely turbulent waters in the coronavirus era, it was like a, a baptism of fire, you know? So I got to see a lot of what worked and even more of what didn't work. And as I retrospectively look back on say this year, 2020, I feel that there was no great correlation 
between success and seriousness, in my opinion. And one particular example comes to mind. It was last year, 2019 in November, my wife and I were living in Athens and we had hosted a public masterclass. So a high performance masterclass for the business community of Greece worked very well, but it gave me my first gray beard hair. And that kind of <laughs> set off an alarm <laughs> bell in my mind. And immediately after this masterclass in the Hilton, I came home the next day and it was the weekend. And I said to my wife, where are you going? She was dressed for the beach or something in the Athenian Riviera. She said, I have to work. She said, what? It's the weekend. You just had a, a mammoth few months preparing for this masterclass. And it kind of hit me that if I don't take the foot off the gas, kind of, I guess, now I wasn't 15 years in like Firas before I had a, an insight that um, I'll develop, develop corporate arthritis, shall we say. But <laughs> what it did make me realize is that I can take a break and create some space and things are going to be okay. You know, there's no one looking over my shoulder saying, are you being serious? Are you focusing on work? Is that a smile I see? Stop that, you know? So that was just kind of a taste of the first time I experienced a feeling that business can be fun. And by nature, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. So this, this dichotomy or duality of turning into a suit and tie executive when I sit down at my desk and then when I go to the breakfast table, I'm smiling and happy. There was a disconnect, you know, and I think all of us agree as we all know each other that alignment and authenticity is, is pretty much essential for any kind of corporate endeavor. But yeah, that's, that's what I would say to that. I love how you, how you describe that dichotomy. For me, I'm, I've always seen myself as a serious person and my wife and kids have always known me to be a serious person until I started that, that journey of, you know, what else is there to life besides work? And literally over the past four years, so me and my wife have been married 16 years now. So she's seen a completely different side of me. She's like, wow, you can actually be fun. You know, I'm actually a happier person now. She's actually like revising who's, you know, because we kind of like had this, she's the fun, you know, interesting, funny, weird mom. And I'm the serious dad that's, you know, corporate and all that. And our roles have kind of reversed a little bit in the past, especially this past year, uh, just in terms of uh, I've actually become happier. And she keeps giving me uh, strange looks. And my, my children have seen me do things that they've never seen me do or most of their lives, uh, things that I, you know, I wouldn't take time to. Like family's always been sacred to me, but it, it was more of a duty. You know, it's like that day of the week that we just go. And it was just like, yeah, we'd go for lunch, we'd go do some shopping and that's, that's our day for lunch. And now they've turned into those outings have turned into just let's go out and play someplace or let's, you know, start rollerblading and playing basketball, things like in my forties that they haven't seen me do in my twenties, you know, when I was a younger father. Uh, and that's strange because it's got me questioning that idea of my seeing myself as a serious person. Was that real? 
And I'm starting to see that it isn't over the past four years of just trying out different things, not just in work, but just outside of work, that that might be a misnomer or that might be a reality that I just made up because that's what I thought it took to be a corporate leader. And, um, and I've seen the effect of it on corporate leaders, especially these past few years, and especially this past year, with the crisis that's going on is when, when leaders do take things way too seriously, it just shrinks their, their options down. Uh, it limits what they can see as possible. Um, it adds a sense of urgency that you know, doesn't really benefit uh, them in terms of decision-making. Uh, it pushes people to, 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 to make decisions from a place of fear, uh, uncertainty, panic even. And I've, and I've seen that with a lot of good leaders that I worked with. And I've seen how the, that pressure, self-imposed pressure, that, you know, that, uh, that uh, idea of that they have to take things seriously. And if they don't, then, you know, then the sink, a ship is going to sink or the, you know, the uh, corporation or something is going to go down. It's actually had the opposite effect. They kind of fast track that <laughs> versus where, where they were a lot more fun leaders or at least enjoying it and connecting with the people and, and, and doing more things. They were actually better leaders, better people. People looked, at, looked up to them, were more inspired by them, were willing to follow them, even if things weren't well-defined or clear to them because they connected with them more as human beings. But the more serious they got, the more disconnected they got. And, and I saw that repeatedly in several companies over, you know, especially my last 10 years of being a leader within corporations. It's like a pattern. The more serious they get, the narrower it gets, they get disconnected from the people and then things start to fall apart. I can so connect with what you say there, Firas, just from observing the leaders that I've worked with in different countries, the ones that have this, this, are the ones that are attached to an identity of always being serious. Mm. Think how much brain power and energy is going to hold that identity. Yeah. How much wasted energy is taking them outside of clarity or outside of the present moment. And it reminds me of, of something that Michael Neal, who we all know, talked about, and that is the spinning fan. Mm. And I think when, when, um, a leader's mind is like that when the fan is spinning and ideas are like a deck of cards trying to throw them through the fan they can never get through there's no room for fresh thought to flow in in a vacuum if the mind is always occupied with its own identity and i guess ultimately if we boil away the water and leave the lime it's simply an ego exercise you know it's a an image of of self-importance in a way that we must uphold this to slot into societal norms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd seen that. That's why it's like, a, that's why it impacted me. And I, and I love this, this kind of work that we do in terms of with the principles and coaching is, is because I suffered from that myself. And when I started to see it in your, in, in myself, then I started to see it everywhere around me and all my colleagues and they saw it in me because especially the ones that I had worked with for a long time, when they saw my transition, all of a sudden, you know, Philos is only working eight hours now instead of, you know, the 10, 12, 16 that he used to. 
but I was actually more efficient. I was clearer minded. I could, you know, I could prioritize and get the right things done versus doing everything and, and still seeming like, you know, you're just treading water or running in the, in the same, same place. And then I tried to start sharing that with, with a lot of my friends and colleagues. Um, but yeah, I could see it in them. It was, it's funny because, you know, it's one of those things when you start to see, then, then it's like, why doesn't everybody see this? <laughs> but then I remember, it's like, I hadn't seen that for the 16, previous 16 years either. Uh, and, but it is, it is so funny because once you see it, it's like, how could I have missed it? And I love what you said about that, that energy. It's, I didn't realize how much energy I was burning holding those ideas, holding that, that, that you know, that uh, idea of, you know, having to be serious, having to work hard to be successful, how much energy that was burning. And I realized that I was essentially running on an empty tank for like a decade, but I hadn't known it. It's only when I disconnected uh, and it wasn't that first vacation that we took. I think it was a second one because we went on a one week vacation. Uh, and that was about, that was like, I think 16 years into my career. <laughs> And that was when I was like, I'm not taking calls. I'm not checking emails. It's like that. So it was a real disconnect. And I came alive. I mean, it's, I came back. People were like, you look like you're 10 years younger. We've never seen this side of you. It's like, and it continued. And then I found ways to kind of maintain that. Funny thing, though, is when I started my own business just a couple of months ago, it's kind of like I've forgotten all of that and went into burnout mode again. Now it was serious again. Because I had, you know, oh, now I have a business. I want to get up and running. I have to be serious about this. This is my future. You know, I left a uh, stable job for this. And I went into burnout mode again. Except this time, it, you know, luckily didn't take me 16 years to see it. It was just like a couple of, a couple of months. Uh, and even then, I was kind of relaxed in the first couple of months. It was only like maybe a, a month or two in. And then I'd got into overdrive mode for a few weeks. And I kind of caught myself and had to force myself to kind of step back and just uh, take a break and, and, and see what comes to me that, uh, to do rather than, than doing all the things that I think or thought I should do. And, and as we had discussed in several of the mastermind calls, it, those were the two weeks that I was actually more, most productive, not in terms of time work, but in, time, in terms of, let's say, impact on my business or connections or so on, like having new potential clients coming in, forming new collaborations with, with coaches and, and, and friends that I've been talking to for months. A lot of things just kind of clicked in those two weeks because I, I kind of opened up the options again, right? There was more, more room for new ideas or, or opportunities to, uh, to come into play that I had completely you know, been oblivious to or blinded to because I went back into serious mode. Yeah, Firas, I... I um... I still realize, Martin, we're going on the strength of your first question. So cut, <laughs> yeah. cut in at any so time. Yeah. You guys keep going. <laughs> mind, Firas, is, um, first of all, because I can relate in so many ways how my thought would be business should be fun. Come on, take it easy with the leaders I'm working with. But then for myself, I wasn't holding myself to the same norms, reality. Yeah. And the expression when you're in the jar, you can't read the label, comes to yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, I love mm -hmm. that. Um, and something else, when I was in Uganda a good few years ago, we went to a crocodile farm. And um, when it came time to seeing the crocodiles, it was an exceptional experience. 
but this was maybe 10 years ago. They gave us a stick and they said, you can poke the crocodile to take a photo. And I thought to myself, I would never do that. And there was a line of people. And when it came to my turn, I, I said, I can't miss this opportunity. So I did it. But what the reason I'm saying this now is, and it was an amazing photo, don't get me wrong. Like they were being fed uh, chickens and all sorts of things. But uh, what was, or just to connect it, I think very often that we don't hold ourselves to the same standards or in good or bad as we do sometimes for other people. And that's why I think the, the understanding that we're all kind of coming from this uh, inner peace and alignment is so helpful in terms of just knowing yourself and knowing what's, what's good or bad. I think I went on a bit of a tangent there, but hopefully you, uh, you can connect with what I'm getting at or pointing at. We went on a, a tangent all the way to Uganda. That is a, a lovely, <laughs> uh, lovely share there. And, and these have been great shares. That's why I didn't want to jump in. But, you know, I think what you guys are both saying, what I, I love is that it's, it, it's hard for us to realize what we're doing. And then at some point you have to remember, like you, you as human beings, it's so easy for us to forget. And, and you have to remember it. And, uh, and so that's what I, I wanted to bring up. That was going to be the next question for us is, you know, I, I feel that, you know, maybe somebody works in, in corporate America or corporate wherever, and, uh, and then they have the opportunity to become the business owner. And now that they're the owner, then they, they might forget again, how to do that. So what, what would you say to, to that person who maybe, know stepped up became a new leader or you know i feel like there's some yeah. sort of power rush and you kind of forget yeah, absolutely yeah absolutely and I've, I've seen it happen to to so many good people so it's, we're not talking about like the evil ceos of the world no exactly. talking about really good people yeah i mean people i respected that had had previously worked with previous to their roles for example as a as whatever that role might be in a, in a top level organization such as ceo or so on different positions they, from what I've seen, and this is just like from personal experience, so this isn't the end all be all, but what I've noticed is that they tend to start to cut themselves off from other people. And, and when they do that, then they don't get that feedback, right? It's then, then you're kind of stuck with just the reality that you're seeing. And even us having seen that, we still recognize that we need somebody to remind us, you know, whether it's a friend or a colleague or a coach or family. That's every time that I've had to snap out of it. It wasn't because I, I was like you know, smart enough or, 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 you know, to see it. Yes, sometimes I, I catch myself and it becomes, we kind of become more aware to it. But a lot of times it's usually somebody poking us outside. Uh, in my case, my wife is like, you know, when I started going into overdrive in my business, she was like, you know, you, you kind of, one of the main things for you leaving the job was to spend more time with us. And now you're at home in your home office and we barely see you. So that was a wake up call for me. With leaders and enterprise, they bring in, I've seen great leaders like you build up great teams, but then when things get serious or when things get difficult, they, they kind of section themselves off or cut themselves off from those people and, and they stop getting feedback or they stop asking for it. And then they're just stuck in the reality that they're seeing. And that's very difficult to, to, to snap out of it. So 
my advice to anybody in that situation is to be aware of that and and keep good advisors around you in whatever shape or form they might come in. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that because um, the last two clients I spoke to were either CEOs or founders of businesses who, who were literally caught up in that trap. One was a, a consultant who had built up her unique consultancy business in, in Kuwait, something she's worked on for 20 years and, and she was ready to throw it all away. She's like, that's it. I've had it. I'm burnt out. It's become, I can't see an end to this. And I just asked her, like, when was the last time you kind of stepped away and, and, and actually looked at <laughs> You know what it is you wanted to do versus what it is you're actually doing and we, we got into a long discussion but it's essentially that you just kept chasing that i have to keep doing this i have to keep doing that um, another founder of a business that i was just speaking to the other day similar thing uh, he's running himself into the ground he's gotten himself in a position where parts of the business are completely dependent on him so he can't step away or take a break but then he doesn't want to you know, let down the rest of the business, whether the team members that report to him or the other executives that he works with. And, and he's kind of stuck and he's on the verge of just saying to hell with it all and, and just step and walking away from it. And that's like a business he's helped found for over 10 years. Um, yeah, I mean, being aware, obviously a lot of work on self-awareness. I mean, I, I did a webinar actually on that. My first webinar last week was on that is self-awareness. Uh, Which was amazing, I might add. Thank you very much. Uh, so a part of it is, yeah, understanding that we can build up more self-awareness for ourselves. We can see the patterns, but it's it's like Michael says, there's, there, there's things we can do to kind of help us on the long-term. And I think self-awareness is a big part of that, but the things to help us kind of in the short-term to be more self-aware and keep us in check is, is having as some kind of support network, whether it's colleagues, like what we do in the masterminds, for example. You know, so many times we, we kind of help each other see what we've forgotten, right? By, by being in, in such communities, or as I said, in business, you know, having a, your leadership team around you, not cutting yourself off from them. Yeah, that's a, that's a great response. And I, I love how you started off by saying, you know, it's it's not bad people or bad CEOs or, or whatever. It's, it's just part of the human experience, I think. And, and it's so easy for us to forget or to get caught up. And when other people, you know, other people's lives are involved, then it, it seems like the right step would be to get serious, or at least that's what I've seen. You know, if you're in charge, then, uh, then, you know, you have a responsibility of the people below you. And so I, I just yeah. found that that interesting. So that I feel like is when maybe the the seriousness comes in, or you know that that starts to play a part in your head. And sorry, Thomas, would you like to add anything to, yeah. to Furious's mm -hmm. response? Or yeah, I just think that that what Furious says makes so much sense. And I also work with a few founders of different companies in the past two years or so, and I feel like. There's no one size fits all or one sheep dipping approach that we could advise any particular leader because every one of them have a set of unique circumstances. But what's coming to mind for me is our own arena of transformative high performance coaching. I observe that there's an awful lot of pressure that coaches put on themselves to uphold their own and to embody their own advice. 
And I guess the 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 term because we know better, we should do better, you know. But the problem with that is, as we mentioned, the human experience. We cannot expect ourselves to always embody a certain standard or to always get it right all of the time. And what I observe with a lot of the high performance coaching community is kind of a, a an approach towards themselves where they feel they beat themselves up basically for for not giving themselves permission to fail or just to extend themselves a little bit of of leeway if you know what i mean and um, when they realize that it's totally okay to mess up and you know as my history teacher used to say <laughs> slow down just don't stop and i think that's a very good mantra for a lot of of coaches out there they think that they can come in and work immediately with presidents or prime ministers and and if they don't they consider themselves a failure and throw it all up in the air and move on you know so i guess my advice for the transformational coaching community would simply be it's okay to not be brilliant all the time because no one is. Yeah, that's a that's a great line, and I, I think it's so valuable. and And I think that people connect with you more when they see that you're not brilliant all the time. And so I have this quote written down actually from Michael, um, and it it ties right in with what you were saying. And it's it's our humanity that makes us trustworthy, not our awesomeness. And, uh, and I just feel that that's, that's what you're talking about. It's like people, people don't want to see brilliance all the time, or they, they connect more when they see, oh, wow, this guy isn't brilliant all the time. Like he, he sucks at this part too, like just as much as I do, or, you know, something like the problem that I'm having, he has too. So I'm, I'm going to connect with that a little bit more. I don't know if that's uh, really tied into what you're saying, but that's what I It's exactly heard. tied in exactly because we the compassion in us is relating to the compassion in the other person and if we look at the best ted talks for instance out there they're not someone coming up on stage and having a, a dinner menu of achievements we don't care we care about the underdog the person who overcame adversity we care about the leaders that are appropriately vulnerable we vote for the Barack Obama figures that have gone through the obstacles and through the adversity to get where they are, because we can all connect with that in the human spirit. And I know from the work we do that a superpower of the 21st century leader is vulnerability. And as I said, being appropriately vulnerable, it's not like a case of flying open the doors and shouting, woe is me. It's more a case of coming from a standpoint of this is what's a struggle for me. This is what has been a struggle for me and throwing it out there and see how you can connect with other people. And I mean, if we look at the research of people like Brene Brown, I'm sure you both know yeah. on the area of shame and leadership and vulnerability and leadership, it just speaks volumes to, to what we're saying here. Yeah, that was 
A few weeks ago, I'd written a post about leaders becoming more vulnerable to, to essentially become better leaders. And somebody had responded uh, with, that's all great for like corporate leaders and so on, but what about the, 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 re the, the real leaders in the difficult positions like government or the military, you know, they, they are, they're being paid to lead others, you know, they can't show their vulnerability. And that kind of took me aback at first. I didn't want to respond immediately. I kind of like slept on it. I came back to the next day and I'm like, I, I can see how you can see that, especially if you come into, let's say, a, a, a volatile, let's say, organization or, or especially like in government, you know, like people that have been there for a very long time, uh, change is very difficult and so on. But I'm like, it depends what, what you're looking for, right? Are you looking to maintain your position and, and protect yourself in that position? Or are you looking to grow and change, you know, the, the organization that you're in or to influence change and development? Um, and I realize that that's why we see some organizations or governments or so on that are stagnant because they're all about, you know, that we don't want to be vulnerable so we can protect ourselves. Uh, and they just maintain the status quo. And it is that when you are vulnerable, you open up yourself to a lot more options, right? Because then you, you're admitting that you need help or support. You're willing to listen to more people. You're getting more ideas. And as you said, a, an appropriate level of vulnerability as well. I mean, a leader also needs to, to, to maintain morale and make sure people are, you know, not to, to claim the end of the world or the organization. Oops, or my glasses. <laughs> Uh, well, Firas, just while you get your glasses, just to connect with what you're saying, I've just had a thought in my head. You're absolutely right in terms of government officials around the world. And I see it as a case of being in many of these, say, new democracies in third world countries, for instance. Politics is seen as as the way we might see a very successful corporate businessman. It's seen as a, a way out of poverty. It's seen as a, a gateway to greater things. But on the whole, and I'm speaking very broad spectrum here, it's a independent, it's a bunch of independents together thinking largely about themselves and not connecting with their colleagues for the greater good. So that might be a very interesting thing to look at, levels of vulnerability in government cabinets and how, as you say, they perhaps are not connecting to each other. And if they did, they might access the power of yeah. the I mean, universal I'm, mind. And it's noticeable because we see a lot of projects, and not to get into politics, but just in terms of, let's say, advancement in the region, we can see, especially in the Gulf countries, we have a good amount of resources we're still not let's say developed country level but we're not you know poverty level we have great resources but we're still kind of stuck in a certain level of progress and uh, and we can see the countries that are moving ahead are essentially working more cooperatively whatever agencies or, or government uh, uh, you know ministries or or, or or divisions are the ones that kind of are following a singular vision like truly, you know, not just uh, in terms of, you know, something that's there and uh, uh, supposedly, but the ones that are actually all collaborative and working together towards a, a similar goal. 
And for that, yeah, the, there is some level of vulnerability because to share something with anybody <laughs> will open you up to, you know, to vulnerability at the, the end of the day. But, uh, but yeah, just to, to take us uh, back to, like, I think the, the, to the initial I think, discussion of, of fun. I think we got a little too serious there. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, let me know like where you want this to go, Martin, uh, as well, uh, in terms of what have we seen in our businesses? And I'm curious because, you know, you've, you've been in this for a bit longer, Thomas, in terms of having your own business, in terms of what has helped you to have more fun, because I'm still struggling with that. I see the potential of it. Uh, I see that the temptation of it, you know, those times that I have let go, I've seen myself do a lot more and, and accomplish much more, which is paradoxical by letting go, I kind of get more done, but I'm, but it's not how I do everything right now, which I would love to. <laughs> yeah. You know, Firas, when I was working with the presidency in Namibia, I had a morning routine designed that was something like from 707 to seven. 14 engage in qigong from 7:14 to 7:30 intensively read content for day and this for 2 hours before my first meeting which was complete and utter nonsense it was horse manure shall we say as i look back on it but you have to kind of go through that i think in a way as well to to realize just how how intense and not necessary that kind of regiment toward the self is. And to tie it into the topic of fun, I now realize, and we've heard it from one of our mentors, Michael Neal, that productivity is not an equal input output game. So for instance, we don't have to put in six units of productivity to get out six units of result. And this idea kind of just made me think in my head, wow, I really have a lot more time than I realize. I don't need to, you know, sit at my desk the whole day. I can take a meeting walking in the field, for instance, on a Zoom call, or I can, I can mix things up and broaden my spectrum of experience it doesn't have to be all the same and perhaps and i've seen this sometimes an idea that would come on a whim and i act on it immediately not always but often that can give me far more tangible measurable input than or results than something i might have been stuck in a contaminated loop of thinking for weeks and weeks getting ready to publish and not publishing something and then pulling back and second guessing rather than just getting into the flow and going with it. So I could put 30 hours into something and get back four productive units, or I could put two hours into something and get back 30 productive units. So that simple mind frame shift allowed me to think I can inject an awful lot of things I like to do in my day. You know, like I really like to, I live on a farm here in Ireland. So I really like to garden. We have four horses out there and I like to go out and feed them carrots at any time. They're not our horses. So don't tell the owners. I hope they, I hope it's okay that they're eating carrots. 
Um, but just little things like that, that I can put in my day. And my wife, you know, her love language is quality time. And um, for me, it's not. So just making that little effort to kind of go on a, a speed walk for 15 minutes of connection kind of just makes a big difference. And on a, a science level, I guess, in our training, we do a lot of neuro leadership as well. Your prefrontal cortex, if you don't take a break every two hours, the battery's dead. So you're functionally redundant anyway, in case that helps. <laughs> that that uh, definitely I helps. I, I love that response. Firas, I want to go back for a second to to the person that commented on your post and mm. and kind of reframe that uh, hypothetical situation, I guess, is like if that person was listening to this conversation or to any of the episodes of this podcast and and commented, you know, well, what about these leaders that are at a certain level, like they can't have fun or they, they can't play, people's lives are at stake or, you know, they have to take things seriously. That I, I kind of wanted to, to maybe play and explore that mm -hmm. that idea because I'm, I'm sure at some point that comment is coming from someone. I don't know who it's going to be, but uh, I just have a feeling that even if somebody doesn't comment that there might be people thinking it out there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I didn't like respond immediately because it was, I could see, let's say what they were seeing behind it in terms of the seriousness of it. Uh, yeah, when you're talking about leaders who, and, 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 and I guess all see, leaders see themselves somewhat responsible for other people's lives to some extent, but I think it's, it becomes more serious when it's like a direct relationship. So yeah, if you're talking like military or, or a government leader who might be like responsible for, for health or defense or something like that, but I, I like to challenge these things because it, it tends to be easier to see when you take it to an extreme. So it's if, if a leader can never be vulnerable, can never admit to a mistake, can never ask for help, then you're essentially de completely dependent on that leader's self-contained skills, knowledge, uh, capability. And that's, at least I don't see it as, as, a, as a role of a leader, right? The, you know, it's like, but unfortunately, that's how I think traditionally we see leaders come into leadership positions, right? It was the most talented manager becomes a, an executive and then eventually becomes a CEO. Uh, government, it's debatable whether they, they do the same thing or not. But, but to some extent, even when we evaluate leaders, we kind of look at their credentials and their capabilities and their experience. But that kind of defeats a point of, of, of a leader because I see a leader as somebody who's able to, to inspire others to kind of be the glue between a lot of different people with varying needs and, and expectations and, and capabilities. So when we kind of put all the pressure on that leader to be the singular point of focus and doing everything right, then yeah, then, then the leader loses all the resources available to him from, from the people that they are actually leading they become the sole decision maker, they become the sole, uh, you know, evaluator, of whatever options that they're looking at. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's how that's how I how I saw it. And uh, yeah, I'm just curious, if you have anything to add to that, Thomas? No, I don't. I just think it makes so much sense. And that kind of command and control style of, of leadership really belongs in the past, you know, Oh, no, actually, somebody also just came up to me, and I'm, I think I saw it actually later. 
was I actually found a, a quote for for a general. I think it was it might have been Schwarzkopf, uh, one of the you know military leaders, who said something along the lines of when you it wasn't specific to to vulnerability, but it ties into it. When you as a leader stop allowing or stop listening to your to your team's complaints or or, or feedback. Uh, then you're no, you know you're no longer a leader. So it was actually funny that I came across that quote later from a general, from a military general who's accomplished and has actually been in you know in in, in scary and challenging situations that didn't just affect the lives of us even a single country. It was you know that was you know the army that helped us liberate our own country. Uh, so was, yeah, somebody who who held the lives of like three different nations in their hand, <laughs> plus whatever you know yeah. uh, what other, other other nations that were supporting them actually encourage leaders to to be more open to to feedback yeah. to be more open to For listening sure. to people uh, yeah. and to be open to that you need to be vulnerable to some to some extent you cannot be vulnerable if you're you can't really accept feedback from people if you're not willing to be vulnerable because you would have to admit not knowing everything 100% and you know if we zoom out on leadership styles of the past say 100 years we have few hundred years we had the industrial age where that management style of direction i am the boss i know best was very effective and that became redundant we moved into the information age where knowledge is power now we all have access to knowledge so knowledge is useless unless we actually know what to do with it so there's a nasa scientist and also a leadership development expert in Australia, Sylvia Damiano, who would argue that we're now entering the imagination age. And in the imagination age, ideas are the creative currency of, of executive power and force. But in order to broadly work with these ideas, as Firas points to, collaboration is needed, feedback is needed, fun is needed in the workplace, you know? And it's, it's, in a way leadership is upside down. So the best ideas in a company can come from the junior unpaid intern. And if that line of communication isn't open, well, that's, you know, shame on the CEO in many ways. So it's, it's a broad spectrum collaborative approach. I think that leadership, the direction it's heading in now in terms of high performance leadership as well, and certainly a lot more holistic integration of having fun in the workplace and i'm not necessarily talking about zooming around on on uh, what do we call those yokes that fly around dc those are um, definitely fun <laughs> yeah i mean i don't mean commuting commuting around the office with on those all the time and well, that may be helpful we don't need bean bags but just that that space of of uh vulnerability and connection when that's created you know, like Richard Branson, he says something to the tune of, and I paraphrase, look after your people, they'll look after your company, they'll look after your clients, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, from this conversation, I'm, I'm kind of picking up a new, almost like antonym, I guess I would say is like, I used to think that the opposite of serious was like fun. But I think from this conversation, what I'm picking up on is it's, it's vulnerability now. And, you know, if you're open to having that vulnerability and to sharing or to having fun or to allowing that space in your company or in your work or, or in your life, 
then then that's going to remove the seriousness and and that's the first time i've kind of thought about that and and this is the the sixth episode of this show and and it hasn't really come up yet so it's a it's an interesting interesting thing i'm thinking away from this a lot it makes a lot of sense martin and i think in many ways it's a similar kind of energy because when you're open to being vulnerable well you're open so you're open to fun you're open to any kind of of new experience you're flexible you're adaptable you're engaging in the 21st century meta competency of agility you can move fast on your feet when you're in that space of openness i guess vulnerability is is the default but um the byproduct is connection high performance and fun as well yeah that's actually a beautiful beautiful insight there martin because i was actually just thinking about that i'm like yeah so how do we tie fun to to vulnerability there and i realized it's because by not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, we are making ourselves serious, right? Because we're giving our, we're, we're removing the option of us failing. Therefore, we're removing the option of experimenting and trying, which therefore is like, therefore we can't play. Uh, so I think that's, that's how I, how I saw that the link from what you just said. And it was funny because when I was listening to the first episode, uh, which you had with Caleb and, and Nikon, I was still struggling with the concept of fun in business. I could, I could, I could experiment. I could go on a journey. I could try, but fun just seemed like a bit of a stretch to me. And I loved. Uh, I think uh, Caleb had mentioned uh, something along the lines of uh, fun doesn't necessarily mean silly. And I think that's how mm-hmm. a serious people <laughs> to see yeah. it. It's like fun is the opposite of serious. Therefore, I have to be silly, and it doesn't have to be. You know, you can have fun without being silly. It, and and I think you summarized it nicely in terms of fun being just just open or staying in the game, willing to play the game, willing to try different things. And when I saw it that way, I was like, yeah, it's fun is is kind of being open, right? It's not about it's not silly. Uh, it's more just being open to possibilities and and willing to explore and and try different things. I think that's where 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 fun is versus serious. I have to pick the right decision. Mm-hmm. I have to pick the right solution. You know, there's no going back. If I go all in, there's no going back, you know, and that's where a lot of the ego starts to play in. It's like, if you realize halfway they're going the wrong way. And I think we were talking about it yesterday in the, in the, uh, in our mastermind that, uh, you, know, you, you go halfway in and you realize you're not doing the right thing for you, but then you're committed. You spend a time, you spent money. And that's just with yourself. Now imagine when you have, other people on top of you, board members, you know, people dependent on you, and and you can't allow yourself to kind of backtrack or or to say, by the way, I'm I'm seeing something different now, uh, and that is where a lot of pressure comes from in politics and government. And the higher up you go in positions, the stakes get higher. Uh, you become more self-aware of it. <laughs> you have a lot more to lose, and that's where people tend to get more and more serious and and less open to to play and less open to vulnerability or feedback. And just to correct my my recollection of that quote, even though I hadn't read the quote out, if you don't mind, I'll just read it. It's from Colin Powell, who was also, I think, one of the generals. He's a four-star general, previous Secretary of State in the Gulf War. So he says, the day the soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you stop leading them. They've either lost confidence that you can help them or concluded that you do not care. Uh, either case is a failure of leadership. And I think it's that that's what we were talking about at the beginning of this of the call 
is not caring, not connecting with people. People mm -hmm. can sense that. Um, I I remember like people, some of my team members coming to me and and noticing that I'd be busy, and saying, "Oh, like we don't want to bother you now. We we see you're busy with something. We know you have something serious." Of it. But they would be willing to come to me, versus somebody else who they wouldn't approach at all, because they know that they weren't approachable. Yeah. Uh, I can notice the difference. Like they they know to come to me whenever they have problems, and then they kind of got a sense of when is a good time to bring it up, when it isn't. But they know it's always an option, versus other leaders or or, or that I'd seen in, in the organization, who their team members could never bring anything to them, because uh, I'd have people coming to me asking me to talk to another department head. Uh, you know, and another executive would ask me to talk to the CEO on their behalf, just because they, they know that certain people were not open to, to, to that feedback or open to, to even being questioned or discussed with. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, and, you know, what I, what I hear from you is like, I, I appreciate you listening to that first episode because um, I'm so glad you brought that up. That was such a big, revelation for me like the the whole point of me doing this show was like i wanted to encourage people to have fun and in, in business and that first episode i realized right away like it doesn't mean you have to be silly and like i i feel thomas was like on his way there talking about like the segues and like like that could be a lot of fun but that that doesn't necessarily isn't what this whole thing's about and and I think today I really got a clear idea of that, of that vulnerability of being open and being able to try new things or to play or to fail and, and not worry so much about that. And, and so I, I appreciate you bringing that up again, because I, I think that that's so valuable and that's really what, what we're searching for here. And, you know, when people hear, oh, fun, then like, then they get scared, like, whoa, this is business. Like it, it can't be fun or, or hands off, like I'm, I'm out. <laughs> But, uh, but I think that the vulnerability and, and the openness is, is such a key part of it. And like you were just saying, that's so important to, to be able to be comfortable to communicate with your leader. And, uh, and I, this has been such a great conversation so far. I know we're, uh, we're getting very close to the, uh, to the time here. Uh, so I would just like to invite you guys to one more question and uh, I, I've done it the last few times on the show and, and it's been a fun little exploration. So if you had to have a, a brand new job, you're not allowed to stick with the job that you have, brand new job, anything in the world, what would you do? And the, the reason that I asked this is because I saw a post on Facebook and a coach was like, you know, so many people just said, you know, I, I just love what I do or I'm, I'm happy with what I do now. And and somebody was like, well, there's no imagination. There's no like fun or creativity in that. Like just, you could do literally anything. So I've gone a few times now by asking this, the, the first time I, I said I was, I would be a college basketball coach because uh, that's like my favorite thing. I love sports. The, the next time I asked a question, I changed it. I went to, to Robin, to, uh, to Batman sidekick, Robin. I, I didn't want to be Batman. I, I would be happy with just being Robin. <laughs> and, uh, and then the last time we brought it up, we, I, we came up with a, a food taster and you just travel the world, just tasting food. So, so there's been a few fun, fun ideas floating around on the show. So I, I would love to hear from you guys. So you're not allowed to say, you know, whatever you, <laughs> the jobs that you have right now, you got to come up with something creative it could be something completely out there or it could be something 
easy going, but it's, it's totally up to you. You know, until I heard you say that so many people are saying, no, I love the job I have. I wouldn't change it. I was going to say that. Yeah. However, now that you have given us permission to think <laughs> outside the box, I think what I would love is to be a rancher in a South African farm or in a Southern African farm with the beautiful African landscape, walking through in the morning and hearing lions roar, not too near, but in the distance. And uh, that level of immersion into the natural world, but also freedom, I think is what I'm pointing to here, because why do we all become entrepreneurs or transformative coaches? To access a level of freedom we didn't have in the corporate world. So I think, I guess, in a line, I would be an African farmer, period. I love that. That's a great answer, Thomas. And yes, that's that's the point is to, to find that freedom. And, and that's really where this question came from. I found it so interesting that this coach was so upset that people kept writing, you know, whatever, like, I'm happy where I am right now. And well, like, you like, get outside the box, you have permission, especially on this show. That's, that's the idea. So Thomas, love that African farmer. What a great, what a great response. I was gonna say, yeah. Uh took me 20 years to figure out this one. <laughs> you want me to come up with a new one on the spot? <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, uh, like, like Thomas said, since you eliminated that option, uh, we're probably underwater photographer. Uh, that's something I do on this side as a, as a hobby. Uh, and recently, cause I used to like photography a while ago and then recently revisited scuba diving uh, and combining those two would be beautiful travel basically and and just exploring uh, exploring nature and you get to meet a lot of a lot of different people as well as a scuba diver. so that's still because i was going to say but i love the part of being a coach i get to meet so many people and i realized you do that as well in, in scuba diving because you you kind of get to know the people you're you're on the boat with that you run into in the planes and and even the guides there you get to kind of learn about local cultures or wherever place you go to and nature. I think that's a, that's a big one for me. And it's still a possibility, hopefully my, on my retirement time is to retire someplace with like a diving reef nearby and, and just take pictures all, all day. That sounds amazing. And it's funny because when I was sharing my previous ones, I was starting to think, you know, if I, if I come up with a new one, I'm, I've been coming up with a new one every week, nice. I was going to say scuba diver as well. So that's a, <laughs> a nice little synchronicity there. That was a great awesome. answer. Underwater photographer. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I love that. And, uh, and so I was checking my phone during this because I, I wanted to bring up this quote. It got you know, it got brought up the word seriousness got brought up so often. I just want to share this, uh, that I saw, it was, it literally came up on my Instagram this morning. The quote is from uh, Sad, I don't even know how to say his name, Sad Guru. Sad Guru. Sad Guru. Yeah. He said, don't be dead serious about your life. Seriousness will bring the quality of death while alive. And wow. uh, that was just, uh, I saw that this morning and that word got brought up so many times during this conversation. So I thought it was, uh, it was important to share. So, uh, yeah, exactly. The walking dead. So before I let you guys sign off, uh, can you just share where people can find you if they are interested in connecting with you? Obviously you both work 
uh, with corporations and with businesses. So uh, I think this would be a great opportunity uh, if you are looking for a coach or looking for someone to come in and really make a difference. These two guys uh, obviously just shared beautifully for the last hour or so, and uh, they are so valuable in a corporation. So please feel free to connect with them. So fear us, feel free to, to share where people can find you. Thank you. Uh, pretty much on my website, I have all my links on there. So that's Firas Alragum, F-I-R-A-S-A-L-R-A-G-O-M.com. And all my social media links are there. And LinkedIn is usually one I'm most active on, but you can reach out to me on anything else that's there. All right. Excellent. And I'll, I'll share that on the, on the show notes as well. So you don't have mm-hmm. to go searching or type in. It'll be right there for you. So you can uh, just connect. And Thomas, how about yourself? Yeah, so for me, it's very easy. It's hpse.eu. That's Hungary, Poland, Singapore, England.eu. Still learning the phonetic alphabet. <laughs> and there you can see the work we do with different companies and, and leaders, but ultimately our speciality, and I guess it's it's even more so now than the past few months, is helping leaders and their very senior teams access the benefits of clear thinking and an unburdened mind. Clear thinking and an unburdened mind. I think we can, uh, we can all use a little bit of that right now. And, and so uh, I, I love the work that you're, that you're both doing. I will share Thomas's uh, website as well. So if you do would like to connect with either one of them, their websites will be attached below. And I just want to say thank you to you both again. I really do appreciate your time. This was such a valuable conversation and, and going to be one that I, uh, I definitely take away a lot from. So if you listen to this point, I'm sure you got a ton of value out of it as well. Thank you for having us, Martin. Thank you so much, Martin. It was a pleasure to be here with you. <laughs> thank you so much. And, and thank you everyone for listening. I, I do appreciate it. We'll be back again each Uh, episode will be released on Sundays. So please keep tuning in. Uh, If you'd like to keep learning from different coaches and different entrepreneurs about adding fun and play, and now vulnerability into into your life, into your business and why it's so important. So thank you so much. This concludes the episode six of the Entrepreneur Playground. And I appreciate you all for listening.